My name is Umer. I'm Sadia. And I'm Connor. You're tuning in to a Patreon-exclusive segment of Oats for Breakfast. In this segment, we're going to continue the discussion we were having about Bang Jun-ho's parasite. Where do we leave off? I think we were talking about impromptu parties versus long drawn-out plans. That's right. Yeah, so that's one of the themes that runs through part of the film, planning, right? And you were pointing out in the last segment, Sadia, that you know all of the very well-laid-out plans of the poor family don't end up amounting to anything, right? They, they script, they go to the length of scripting the conversations that they're going to have you know, as they're trying to pull off this scam of trying to get hired into the rich family's household. And so they they plan everything, and despite that, nothing comes together. And then there's that scene where the poor family's son is looking down at the party, and he's he says, wow, these people just showed up. And it all seems like everything's, it's all natural, right? Like, they look so cool, they look so hip. Like, I don't, it doesn't seem like I fit into this. And there's that part. And then the other part, which we mentioned last segment, was in the gym when he's talking to his dad. He's sorry that it didn't go as planned. And then his his father responds with, The best plan is to not have a plan at all. And I think, what is he making a general statement? Or is he making a statement for like, is it like for people like us, it doesn't make yeah, sense? I think for people like them. Yeah, and there's this there's this kind of foreshadowing also that happens there, right? Where he says, it doesn't matter if you end up killing someone or betraying your country, right? Whatever happens is going to happen. And that's a kind of dark piece of dialogue because you're like, oh shit, like is he, is he, what is he thinking of doing? But well, it ends up being that, yeah, it is something that he's going to do. And the um, I find it a little bit interesting that he's so down on planning at this moment, but earlier in the film i think he was i think he had a line like what's your plan i think he was talking to his son and so it seems like the the circumstances of what had just taken place had really impacted him and he he was feeling quite a bit differently about making plans than he had earlier in the movie yeah i think i mean one of the things is this intergenerational dynamic between the poor parents and their kids one thing that's really kind of nice is that they seem to have the four of them a really loving relationship. But one of the things you see is that early on in the, mo- uh, in the movie, when they tried to take on this piecework of assembling pizza boxes, it seems like the dad contribution was the worst one. Like he messed up about a quarter of the pizza boxes. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because, I you know, in the mom turns around, like when the boss complains that you know, a quarter of them are like done wrong, the poor mom turns around to look at the dad like accusatorily and the dad sort of like slinks away in shame. Oh, I missed um, that. Yeah, I missed that as well. And so, you know, another scene where we see the father kind of um, falling short of his role as a patriarch of a provider is when they the family goes to a valet's cafeteria and they're sort of getting food from this buffet and the father is like telling his kids oh eat eat um take more and the mom makes this like you know remark that 
or who are you to say that like they are the ones paying for this right so it seems to undermine his position as the father figure so that kind of i guess dynamic um and then there's a there's another incident where when they're all at the rich family home chilling together the mom again makes a comment to call him a cockroach or to call him an insect of some kind and he snaps at her or it seems to snap at her and grab her i don't remember if he grabs her arm really violently or her blouse really her blouse her yeah. blouse really violently and there's like this suddenly this moment like okay is he going to hurt her and then he plays it off as if it was a joke but it seems like there is that tension of him not being able to do what he's supposed to do and so i think what you were saying connor is that as long as his son and daughter are taking the lead he like he wants to play along he wants to like actually you know do the right thing because maybe something will come out of it but then when it falls apart he can resort back to his his rule or his like model that you know it doesn't work to have a plan for people like us right and i was just kind of thinking like maybe it's kind of like a cyclical thing like you know it's like you you you're feeling optimistic let's make some plans you know and then when things come to ruin you're fatalistic and uh yeah it could have been you know just the result of seeing plans fail yeah over and over and over again and because you know i guess one of the most sort of striking parts that we referred to earlier too but like the rain or the there is the night night when all this happens there is torrential rain and while the poor family is in the rich family's house it's not a problem like they can barely sort of feel the rain but old housekeeper who's outside standing in the rain we can sort of see her suffering from it mm-hmm. the rich family's camping trip gets canceled because of the rain but it's sort of a a minor inconvenience i guess because the the rich kid can still camp out in his teepee in the in the lawn but it's when the poor family the father and the kids have to sneak out and go back to their own home that we see the violence of the rain because of what it's doing like it, the imagery and the, the way that it's shot it's gorgeous and it's and it's so tragic because you just see you feel the rain as something that is um attacking you that is that you need to have shelter from but you can't they are being soaked in the rain the streets are all soaked they have no shelter and they go lower and lower and lower they like they're shown to climb down stairs several flights of stairs going into like the subterranean supposedly layers of the city and that's where the rain shows its most violent kind of side that's where it pulls up that's where it like destroys their neighborhood fills their home with sewage water and the next day when this poor family has to report back to work the dad hears the mom say that you know well it's such a beautiful day for a party because the rain really cleared up all the pollution <laughs> and so it's a blue sky and there's something about like you know the the image of a cleaning up and you know the there's the poor neighborhood getting washed all the sort of critters or and these parasites being like driven out um including the people who live there precisely you know they are the pollution yeah that that scene was so powerful 
just seeing a house filled with that much water just makes me anxious <laughs> just thinking about the damage and uh and uh, you can't really recover from that kind of water damage like especially if it's uh sewage water and then where she, the scene where she's sitting on the toilet and the it's like violently backing up and she just decides to smoke a cigarette because there's nothing else she can do yeah so the the toilet is just like spewing out the sewage uh and it's disgusting but like everything is sewage all around them and yeah in that moment uh the daughter she finds a hidden stash of cigarettes and and yeah and smokes one i don't know if you guys notice but this is for for her for her character this is a you know substance abuse is a returning theme i don't know earlier in the house when they were they're all together in the rich family's house she's the one who's mm-hmm. getting the most drunk she's like in the back just like lying down and like just with the entire bottle of whiskey right and so for her character this is the way that she deals with the dilemmas and the difficulties of being poor through substance abuse which of course is yeah is a common thing so one of the th- things that's interesting i guess um is the word topography or is it like you know different elevations or just like being uh being made aware of different elevations and like the metaphorical value of height and where things are cuz as we were saying earlier like the the rich people's home and the streets leading up to it are very much on an incline mm-hmm. and things are going up on like the the elevation or topography the the director Bong Joon-ho actually has said that this is this movie is his his movie about stairs mm. and you know the his other movie uh what was it snowcatcher snowpiercer snowpiercer sorry i haven't seen it but that he said was a, a hallway movie mm. right hallway yeah like mm. it's like a right yeah there's no inclines it's just on just front and back of different on a train right right yeah Yeah, whereas in this movie yeah there is elevation is like a constant you're all constantly reminded that the rich people live up high their streets go up upwards and then the house itself when you get to the house you get in the door you have to climb the stairs into the yard and then you get into the house Mm -hmm. whereas for the poor people you, you always have to descend and so yeah that visual is one of the markers of of what it means to be rich and what it means to be poor. There's also, you know, the bunker, I guess I kept thinking whether like I guess in the South Korean context you can imagine potentially that in the very background there is some however manufactured how real potential of there being a nuclear standoff uh or nuclear war between North Korea and South Korea. And so there there is that potential for a war that's there. But the other war that's, I guess, much more so apparent is a class war, class conflict between like within the lower classes and in a much more subdued way between the lower classes and the upper classes. And the conflict between, or the war even, between the lower classes, that war being the, the most apparent one, that actually one of the ways i think the director brings that forward is to map that war in north korean south korean terms onto the two housekeepers families 
Do you guys remember when um, the old housekeeper, she impersonates a North Korean dictator, sort of giving a speech about the nuclear, uh, what was it? like? Well, I thought it was a television reporter. A oh, North, maybe. Yeah, yeah. North Korean television reporter, right? Right. And so... When the when the other family is kind of at their under their control, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because when when the when the old housekeeper uh, has the video of them all together and she's holding that and she was like, you know, that's kind of like the switch. It's like the nuclear switch that I have under my control, and there's something to having a nuclear switch that that allows for a peace to be established, and she does it in a North Korean, uh, as part of a North Korean impersonation. Yeah, that's interesting. The, the, the conflict between North and South Korea is analogous of inter, or rather intra-class conflict rather than inter-class conflict. Um, the other thing that I think is, is apparent in the movie is that you notice that the rich family, despite not having very many cares and being worry-free, they are not much of a family, right? They they don't really have very close relations with each other. There's a couple times where the poor father uh, asks the the rich patriarch or suggests to him like, oh, well, you love your wife, right? And he gets a kind of dodgy response. And so like, yeah, there aren't very, like it's not like they have warm relations. Whereas the poor family, they are loving and caring. And so there is, uh, yeah, there's an emptiness that you, you know, you sense in the relations among the rich people. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. I mean, one of the things that's interesting that, you know, in, in the conversation between the um, the rich patriarch and the poor patriarch, the, the context of that, con- what it, while they are talking about the rich patriarch's wife is because they're talking about the housekeeper that the, poor people are just forced to get fired. And so now there is a sort of uh, a gap within the rich home, um, a gap that usually the the mother figure would fill, fulfill, but the, the rich mother doesn't have any of the capacities. And the rich patriarch is kind of complaining that, yeah, she her food is terrible. She doesn't know how to clean the house. She's completely incompetent at any of those things. And so it ends up being like, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this so you guys can tell me if I am. But there is something to like family. Well, I wonder if there is some commentary being made about like part of familial relations end up being expressed through the labor that is performed within the family, within a home for for the maintenance of the home and for the maintenance of like the well-being of the family members. In the case of this rich family, there doesn't seem to be any direct labor performed by any of the rich family members for one another. Hmm. There's always the labor is always mediated by like a, a poor person performing that labor. So the housekeeper is performing the labor of what would be the the woman's the woman's role the wife's role um, and the tutors are performing the labor of what the parents might perform if they were to actually spend time with their kids and you know work with them and the driver is performing the labor of what like you know the husband and my wife might perform for each other to you know take them places or drop them off and have time and so there is this like so alienation within the family right yeah I think that makes sense um. I was wondering 
we had talked earlier about the kind of desire for wealth that exhibited by the son and kind of the rest of his family as well. But then I, I just wanted to contrast that with the, um, the husband who is living in the bunker and his kind of profession that he kind of liked living down there and that all he really wanted in life was his wife or, or some kind of loving relationship. And that's like before, before she died, he seemed like kind of a passive character to me. And then after she died is when he became totally unhinged and, you know, stabs the, the daughter and tries to get his revenge, I guess, on the family. So I'm just, maybe there's nothing to that, but I was just interested in that. No, but that is interesting, actually, because it suggests that both in that family and the poor Kim family, the husband is sort of not the primary breadwinner, right? And in both cases, it's the, it's the wife that is sort of the adult that is bringing in the income. Mm. Um, and I mean, in the case of the poor Kim family, it's like the kids who are the sort of driving force of this income source existing at all. And so there is a certain kind of emasculation potentially, but the the husband in the basement or in the bunker doesn't seem to mind, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, he's content to live down there, but he is he glorifies the rich patriarch. Yeah, right. So yeah. there is there is this sense of like, oh, that that rich man is providing for all of us, and so he's like God, and he's like way up above. Right. Yeah. Like God. That's good. Yeah, I mean, so there's a few things in what you guys have said, but one one of the things what you just said, Sadia, about the breadwinner in both both families not being the male head of the family. And I think in that sense, you know, like traditional Korean society, like many traditional societies, is like a, a patriarchal social system and and how sort of modern neoliberal capitalism uh, emasculates the male, you know, often means that, well, uh, the women have to go and, and be the breadwinners. And what that does to family structures. And family structures that are, to begin with, flawed, right? We're not defending them. But, but what it often does is it actually creates um, more problems, right? The, ma- the men, because they aren't able to, to meet their designated role as breadwinners, uh, are you know depressed and they become you know they it's is a common problem you know they mm-hmm. take to alcohol and is domestic abuse and and whatnot and so there is that I guess that's partly there though in the one in the case of the one guy he kind of accepts that his wife has to look after him and and then in the case of the main family the Kim family he's not completely at ease with the situation although. I, I was going to say earlier, like when you were talking about where he grabs his wife's blouse, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I I thought he, he he's able to joke about it. Hmm. Uh, it was pretty convincing to me, mm-hmm. the joking part. I, I, I didn't really find it, find there to be like any, even, even the wife seemed to be kind of in on the joke mm-hmm. as well. Maybe so. Maybe I I would I would have bought it if I hadn't think about thought about the other instances where there is like her making like snide remarks and him sort of like like the camera will either pan to him or pan camera will just the shot will just show him in the background just sort of like 
mm. physically being affected by it, but not actually reacting. So yeah, so I like I mean, in terms of that blouse grabbing incident, there was something to that, and, and even if there was nothing to that, there, there's something about joking about yeah, that's like, true that violence. Yeah, so. That's right. Yeah, um, but yeah, and to follow up, uh, in the end, the the debasement that the the poor father, the Kim uh, father, is faced with, right? The one element, as we talked about in the last segment, is the smell, that he's not able to get over the fact that the rich people think he smells and that the poor smell. Um, so there's that debasement. The second is that he's he's made to play dress up, right? Yeah, right. Uh, he's, you know, he's told he has to dress up like an American Indian and take part in this show for the the kid and his birthday party and he feels you can see that he feels debased in that circumstance and and that's actually the second time when he asks the rich patriarch whether he loves his or rather he suggests that well you love your uh, wife that's why you're making me do this and then the response he gets gets is kind of like you, you know it's a, a little bit iffy and he doesn't really, the the rich patriarch doesn't say that actually I love my wife. He just says, this is your job. So don't worry, you'll get paid extra. And it's, you know, and this, this like debasement mm -hmm. on behalf of a family that doesn't even, like people who don't even love each other. They're just making you do this shit, you know, just, just for, just for the sake of keeping up appearances. And then you have to go out of your way to dress up and play whatever part these rich people want you to play. And, you know, whatever. They'll just pay you in the end, right? That's that's the the way they get things done. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I was wondering about why he keeps bring why the poor father keeps bringing that up to the rich father. I wasn't sure, like, whether he was just trying to mine him for information to maybe, like, use it against him later, to, like, for some other kind of plot that their the poor family is coming up with. But then when it happened the second time, I was thinking that, Maybe he's trying to understand, like maybe he's trying to establish some sort of like more genuine connection as someone who is a husband and a father trying to connect with this other man who is a husband and a father and trying to like understand the dynamic and it just gets shut down uh, and again, he gets reminded of his position, which is to not have these like more intimate conversations, but to just know his place and just go along with it. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like maybe with that, the second time he brought up the, do you love your wife? I thought he was almost trying to get like a jab in a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. you may be rich, but at least I love my wife kind of thing. Or I don't know, maybe not. I thought maybe he was genuinely like thinking, like he was genuinely evaluating their relationship because the first time they have that conversation and the rich patriarch seems to seems to just be like, yeah, my wife is like good for nothing, but sure, yeah, I'm, yeah, sure. And so it suggests that it's just, even their relationship at all a sham. It's just a, like to keep up appearances and to maintain a family unit. Right, um, yeah. But the second time when the rich patriarch seems to, like, you know, the, the poor guy is like, okay, well, why are we doing this? And the rich guy is like, oh, well, you know, my wife, she has this idea about how this is going to, play out and so the poor guy's like oh so you do care about you you do love your wife you you're putting this on which mm. seems like a silly thing for her benefit for her sake so there is something that you do have a genuine relationship so i i felt like it was like it, it was trying to understand trying to analyze what this 
what this relationship was, like what was its contours. Um, but it was just like pushed away. I don't know if he's doing that. I, I think he's, in that moment, you can tell, you know, and I think um, the character is played by like a brilliant actor because in near the end, like the poor father, you can tell there's something is unraveling in him. And his demeanor in that scene where they're both dressed up and behind the bushes is very uncomfortable. And, you know, he's he's trying to kind of, he's like, why are we doing this? Like, like oh, it's, it, I guess you love your wife, you know, but then he knows that he, he doesn't. He doesn't. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the debasement is further heightened, right? Like, you don't even fucking love your wife. Why the fuck are you making me do this? Mm-hmm. And that so that, uh, along with the smell, is kind of like the last straw. Or those are really the only straws, right? I mean, in the whole scheme of things. Um, and actually, one of the things that confused me while watching the movie was about this Native American theme that kept coming in. Like from the very like from the first time that the son of the poor family goes to the rich home, we are told that the young rich kid is enamored with Indians, as they're called. They're talking about Native Americans. Um, and he's shown practicing archery, but they're using like stereotypical Native American arrows. And then we're shown or then we're told that, oh, because the Boy Scouts have a sort of na- Native American kind of lean. Um, and then there we have the teepee that Dasong sort of spends the night in as a pretend camping. And then at the end, we have these uh, the two patriarchs dressed up as the, as the natives. And so in the Reddit thread that I mentioned, one of the comments on the Reddit thread, I don't know, I mean, I haven't verified this, but... Apparently, in one interview with Bong Joon-ho, the director, when he was asked why he had chosen the Native Americans' cowboys theme, he had said that this was supposed to show the Parks, the rich family, and the Kims moved into a house which already had occupants, you know, which were the, the, the bunker-dwelling um, couple, mm. um, but that these new ones would take over. And I guess it was seen as like a house that was empty or like was just could be taken up and like have any meaning that they gave it to it, but that there was already, there was a history to it. There was other people that would have to be displaced. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not really, I don't know if there was like sort of thrown in. I don't know if it, that works enough. Um, or actually, let, let me ask you guys, like, does that seem to... Does that seem to make sense? Does that seem to like explain anything about like why a Native American theme would be used? Uh, I honestly don't know. I mean, if that's what the director said he intended, then I think it's pretty subtle. But I can I can see it after it's pointed out. But I wouldn't have necessarily made that connection mm-hmm. watching the movie. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. And I think for me, the American stuff, including the the indigenous Americans is part of the imagination that the rich people have, right? Like they are themselves aren't really, like they're obviously comfortable uh, with where they are in life, but they are obsessed with life in the West and what things are like in the West. And the wife is always remarking 
oh, we ordered this thing from America, you know, and like she and then the the poor daughter pretends to have gone to the University of Illinois. And, you know, and that's supposed to be the qualification that that she uses to get hired. Yeah. So there is this like uh, obsession on the part of the rich people to to kind of look westward. Yeah, I think that's that is the connection that I was making as well in terms of why Native American imagery was brought in that there it's sort of it's fun and games for the rich family because it, it like I guess it's that's an exotic element of uh, of North American mm-hmm. culture but yeah there is this like westward looking gaze and there's this aspiration of everything from the west everything from America being better because it's from America and so there is a certain naivety there but that is a a naivety that I guess um, rich people are shown to have. But one of the things was, I guess, at the beginning of the movie, uh, the poor son's friend, Min, he says that the reason why he has to stop tutoring is because he's going abroad, right? And we aren't, I don't remember if we're told whether he's where he's going. No, I don't think we are. Um, but there is that next level, I guess, of aspiration. So there's all these, like, I guess, stairs or layers of aspirations um, of different classes. And the class that Min belongs to, who did go to university, who genuinely has the credentials, they actually can go abroad for studying, maybe not like, you know, permanent immigration, but just for studying. Whereas the the poor family, like that's just, you know, way beyond them. Like their their dream is just to occupy the rich Korean family's home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can't look that far ahead. Anyway, so Overall impressions, what did you guys think of the movie? There was something else I wanted to bring up. Okay. Or is it too much? Well. I can stop. No, no, no. Go ahead. It was just related to what we were talking about as like empathy. And even though we've been talking about the war or the conflict that's within the poor people's class, in, in at least two instances, uh, the poor Kim family actually hurt themselves quite a bit by being even like slightly empathetic to the old housekeeper, right? Because um, the new housekeeper let the old housekeeper into the house because, you know, the old housekeeper was saying, please, I I forgot something in the basement. I just really need to grab it. And the new housekeeper could have been like, you know, fuck you, I don't care. And then just like shut down the intercom. But she didn't. She let her in. And so for whatever reason that was, and, and so the new housekeeper, even though like, I mean, Potentially, some of the consequences would have been apparent to her that she would at least knew she had to hide her family, uh, but she let this old housekeeper in. And then the second time was when both the old housekeeper and her husband were locked away in the bunker. The poor son, he was the one who went down there, who opened that the bunker and went down there to check on them. Right. Although it was unclear what his intentions were. Yeah, it was unclear what his intentions were. Um, because he might have been going down there to, to, to kill, kill them. them. Yeah. yeah, he might. He, yeah, so I mean, I guess we don't really know. But if we are to grant him uh, potential sympathetic intentions or potentially, you know, worried intentions, then he again, like, let out that violence into his family's life. And in any case, the the sister was going to go down with the plate of food anyway. So yeah. she would have been the yeah. face the brunt of yeah. the violence there. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah, ultimately 
any attempt at class solidarity hurts you in the immediate sense, right? Hurts your in immediate interests. Mm -hmm. And so once again, you're not as desirable, as as ethical as though as that might be. Um, it's safer to be ruthless. Yeah, that's the way the, that's the way the world is structured. So yeah, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> But anyway, so uh, we should probably wrap up here. So I just want to sort of get your take. How, what would you say about the film? Like, is it is it a good movie? Should people watch it if they haven't watched it? I'm guessing most of our listeners who've listened this far through have probably seen it. But yeah, I thought it was a a great movie, like to watch, like a really powerful story, and uh, just the way that the suspense and the conclusion everything wrapped up in a way that was you know slightly ambiguous uh and i usually like that that kind of an ending you thought it was ambiguous well slightly like i mean maybe not as ambiguous as some other movies but right. well, what what did you find ambiguous oh that maybe he he will actually buy that house i don't know oh. like it was oh actually little... that was the other reddit comment that i forgot to mention that uh, in another interview uh the director had said that he calculated how much, how many years it would take for someone like that poor son on an average income, average working class income in Korea to buy that kind of house. Right. And he said it would take 525 years. Uh, so I think it's not actually meant to ever happen. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was my impression, but it was yeah. slightly, uh, yeah, anyway. But yeah, a really good movie. And Sadia, what, what about you? Yeah, you know, when I first heard the... When I read that the director was the same as the Snowpiercer, a Snowpiercer is very, like, overtly a dystopic, political, class conflict kind of movie. And it's sort of like, it almost beats you over the head with the politics, in some ways, people might say that it's a bit crude in its uh, in its critique of capitalism and its uh, sort of imagery. And then when I saw the title of this one, Parasite, I thought, okay, I wonder if he is going to sort of turn the tables or like sort of show, like initially start off by showing like poor people as parasites, but eventually it will be revealed that the real parasites are the rich people on society. And so that will be that kind of commentary. But I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't and that every character that we met had a sort of complexity or if not a complexity, then then not a simple kind of, you couldn't write them off and right? you couldn't write off who are the bad guys. Yeah. Um, like nobody was like evil. Nobody was like, yeah, bad. And so in that sense, there was like, you know, the products of their circumstances, products of their conditions. And there's certainly something very bleak about it. But I guess, you know, in, in that way, I feel like I don't even, it can't even really be said to be dystopic. It's kind of just like, just feel like it's, it's a certain dark comedy, but it's like realism. Yeah, I'm, I think I came across uh, a statement by the director that said that, you know, he didn't want to make a piece of propaganda mm. or that, uh, you know, a documentary or something like that. And that in general, he he knows that there are people in the world who are trying to change things, who are trying to make a better world. And he's on their side. But 
in a in a film like this, he didn't want to portray that. What he wanted to portray was what reality is like. And yeah, and reality under modern capitalism is pretty bleak. It's a it's a pretty solid solid system that's difficult to change and overcome and certainly in our everyday lives we are beholden to what it forces us to do. Thanks for tuning in to this Patreon-exclusive segment of Oats for Breakfast. And thanks for being a patron of the podcast. Your support is what allows us to make delicious food for thought for all the world to consume. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.